0: Start an account today. And don't forget to use promo code WBOK. Every day, the RTA takes thousands of New Orleanians to work, to school, and safely home to their families. RTA has increased bus service across the city with more options early in the morning, late at night, and on weekends. More bus service in neighborhoods like New Orleans East, too. We have a new express line to the airport, more choices to get downtown and lots more cross-town options. RTA keeps New Orleans rolling. Visit Norda.com for details.
1: You're listening to WBOK New Orleans. The following program is a paid program that doesn't necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the staff, management, and advertisers of WBOK.
2: Don't you know that we're able... Major. We can all sit the table and in Say Say Welcome
1: to the What's your Revolution? World. like in the welcome to the western revolution show a show for men and the people who love them we'll discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves I am your host dr Charles Cor
2: have to argue with anybody. We don't have to curse and go around acting bad with our words. We don't need any bricks and bottles. We don't need any Molotov cocktails. We just need to go around to these stores and to these massive industries in our country and say, God sent us by here to say to you that you're not treating his children right. And we come by here to ask you to make the first item on your agenda fair treatment where God's children are concerned. Now, if you're not prepared to do that, we do have an agenda that we must follow. And our agenda calls for withdrawing economic support from you. So as a result of this, we're asking you tonight to go out and tell your neighbors not to buy Coca-Cola in Memphis. Go by and tell them not to buy sealed pest milk.
3: You're listening
1: to the incomparable Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And as we think about... Most often, we think about the dreamer, but we're going to talk today about the revolutionary because mm-hmm. that's what this show is about, how we find revolutionary things in every day and everything that we do, everything that we are, it should be about a revolution because the dream is just one thing, the revolution is the action. Joining me today to talk about the true legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, I'm joined by <laughs> – I could give a host of adjectives, but I'm just going to say the Jarvis DeBerry, opinions editor for our local and national, international Times-Picayune. What's up, Jarvis? How you doing, brother?
3: I'm good. Thank you for having me. I
1: appreciate it. Oh, man, it. it is a blessing. Uh, it is a blessing. And as you know, we always ask, and I've asked you twice, I'm not going to ask you again. <laughs> we ask everybody, what's your revolution? If you need to know, you can listen to our anniversary show on SoundCloud. Jarvis gave an eloquent answer about how to detail and build your revolution. By the way, we're going to talk about this article that you wrote this week about Dr. Martin Luther King. And as we commemorate the 50th year of his assassination, you wrote this very riveting piece that really is thought-provoking. Tell, tell us about your impetus for writing this article. Uh,
3: the main impetus is hearing over and over again, mainly from white people, but not exclusively from white people, that you know everybody who's talking about race today is wrong in a way that Martin Luther King Jr. was not. And that people who talk about racism, people who... Point out the problems or try to elevate the problems of the poor are somehow being divisive and are not in keeping with this dream Mm -hmm. as they understand it uh, that King expressed. And I'm always struck by how often I get feedback like that where people who haven't, don't seem to have any strong opposition to racism or any strong opposition to the way poor people are treated in this country believe that they are the very embodiment of what martin luther king jr stood for and this is and it's been happening for years even decades Uh, i spent much of yesterday morning at the homicide research center right and i was looking specifically I've been fascinated by what was happening in New Orleans specifically after King's assassination and even some of those stories in the paper talk about how almost instantaneously after King was killed people started praising him in ways that they never had when he was alive so we're not even a month out or we're not even a couple of weeks from his death and all of a sudden his enemies are talking about what a great person he was. Uh, there was one exception, I can't remember the person's name. He was the first district uh congressperson from Louisiana who said, Oh, King was preaching violence under the guise of nonviolence. You know
1: that sounds crazy.
3: Yeah, yeah. But I I, I almost have more respect for people who express opposition to King than those people who claim to be supportive of King and don't know anything that he said, or they or they claim to be supportive of King and yet they oppose everything that he said. That he right. Stood un-
1: for. Un- unpack that for the uninitiated and for the uneducated. What does that mean? That
3: you know? Well, I mean, first and foremost, he died fighting for the rights of black sanitation workers in Memphis. That's a that's a position that aligns itself with labor. Right. You know, and so if you are Against people having, If you're against raising a minimum wage, if you're against people having a living wage, there you go. if you are there you coming go. up with ex- one excuse after another where poor people just need to work harder or they're poor because it's their own fault, then you are in complete opposition to the things that King said. If you are praising our military exercises across the world, he was very clear that the military budget was depriving our domestic budget, mm-hmm. that 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 one of his – he had multiple reasons to be opposed to the war in Vietnam. But one of them was that all of the money that had been promised by LBJ to address poverty was being sucked up into Vietnam right, and to, to exactly. that war effort. And so that he called the United States of America the biggest purveyor of violence on the planet. Wow! I mean, that that is what he said, and he didn't he didn't mince his words uh, when he said that. He also took out after capitalism. So I mean, if you are trying to be pro-capitalist and not give your attention to the poor, and you're cheerleading the military and and everything that we do, then on all those on all those fronts, you are opposite to what King said he believed in.
1: Exactly. That's is it's interesting because you think about our current state, the current landscape, and we're seeing how big budgets, yeah. you know, big military budgets, and we're seeing cuts. Same thing, cuts in social services that yeah. are impacting poor.
3: Correct. And 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 the belief that and the expression of the belief that it's poor people's fault all they had to do was work harder and Dr. King would be so disappointed in poor people today I don't see any evidence I mean I don't see any evidence that that that's how how he would feel and you know but but again and again and again and again King's name is uh, evoked to shame belittle black people to Accuse black people who are causing any type of ruckus of being on the wrong side of issues, and you know what? What strikes out to me are are, are several things that I need I think need to be voiced here. Number one, um, the g- latest Gallup poll that I saw, the last Gallup poll I should say, in his lifetime was taken in 1966. And it showed that 67% of Americans polled had a negative opinion of King, Mm -hmm. two-thirds. And this was a year before he expresses his opposition Mm -hmm. to the Vietnam War. So you can only imagine what it would have been been after that. He was not on the list of most admired Americans. Mm -hmm. George Wallace, the segregationist governor of Alabama, was. Mm on that list. I think he was number eight of most admired Americans. So that is the environment in which King actually existed. And yet, if you say anything today about the evils of racism, then you are liable to be accused of being divisive and you are liable to be accused of being somehow different than Martin Luther King Jr. was. And a comment, and a point that I've tried to make I will agree with with people who say that you know we haven't seen anybody like Martin Luther King jr. since Martin Luther King jr. but I don't believe that the people that are fighting a good fight today are all that different okay from King right right are they are they on the are they on the same level no but they're not radically opposed. They're not all that different.
1: Right. You're listening to the What's a Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporal, sitting here with the incomparable Jarvis DeBerry Opinions editor from The Times P.Q. Young, talking about the true legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And interesting, that was one of the questions that I want to ask you, uh, moving uh, shortly away from your article, is that this perception that there is a void of leadership, a void of black leadership in our country uh, because of the charismatic or what we perceive as the charismatic leadership of Martin and Malcolm. But what you're saying is that it is actually out there.
3: Yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, no, there's we haven't seen King's equal. I will concede that point. But the people that are speaking out, I think, are doing the same work that he did. And King wasn't accepted until he was dead yeah it was it it took him being killed for people to say okay we we kind of halfway agree with you and even in his lifetime i mean Ossie davis made a very good point in one of the uh civil rights documentaries from the 90s that until mike uh, excuse me until malcolm x came along you know Martin Luther King Jr was the one that everybody could say was the radical. Mm, you know, right. we don't want anything to do with you. You're you're causing so much trouble. And as Ossie Davis put it, you know, Malcolm gave Martin a new uh arguing tactic. It's like, look, all we trying <laughs> to do here is right. is get along with people. But if you don't agree with us there's this other brother outside right. the it, door <laughs> <laughs> and he don't think like us you know, right, and he doesn't right, say the same right. things so yeah in in the in the universe where there's a Malcolm X you know Martin becomes a lot more acceptable and then he becomes more acceptable when he's dead but he only becomes acceptable then when we ignore the things that he said right like somebody criticized something I wrote. Well, it wasn't even criticizing me. They were criticizing the people who were kneeling in the NFL mm-hmm. last year. And like all black people want is gimme, 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 gimme. Martin Luther King Jr. would be, you know, embarrassed. And I said, well Martin Luther King Jr. wanted a guaranteed income. I mean you you would count that as a gimme, right? Right. You know, if he's saying that everybody in the United States of America ought to have a guaranteed income. You know, the people who are going around saying, you know, what King would say, don't say that. Right. They they, they ignore (laughs) ignore that that aspect. Right. You know, he wanted what was what we have come to call affirmative action. He said that a country that has done something special against the Negro Mm -hmm. for hundreds of years must do something special for the Negro. And in an interview with Alex Haley. In 1965, he says that the program that he's imagining might cost fifty billion dollars. Right. In 1965. 65. So
1: what does it cost in 2018?
3: You know, so so this is what he was asking for. You know, when he was when he was alive,
1: and and, and these are radical concepts.
3: Of course, they these
1: are. These are radical concepts. Yeah. Yes, and, and and I'm thinking because we fall in love, we've fallen in love with the dreamer because that's yeah. how it that's how it's been portrayed to us and i keep thinking about it and i hate to invoke a scandal reference <laughs> right because um, my I'm, wife
3: invokes them all the time right so. a, a scandal reference <laughs> and i'm just
1: you know i I, w- I waited to watch the last season so i could binge watch it yeah and there's an interesting uh a scene between olivia and um um uh no not 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 annalise but um um cyrus okay right they're sitting on they're sitting on the steps it's actually the the final episode of last season and and they're talking about the impact of a leader Hmm. and when the husband who was elected was killed she she says the 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 most prominent time in a leader's life is when they get involved or or when they get elected or when they die Hmm. and so i i hate to invoke this scandal reference but i think that's what happened is that the story began to be told in this reverence for Dr. King once he died. Yeah. And so we can love the dreamer because we can go back to the lines in the I have a dream speech, but really the radical nature of change are in the speeches that are and the actions that he's talking about in, in America that could not encapsulate giving reparations or giving a a, a a wage that was going to allow people to have a prosperous and economic
3: life. And let me point out too, and I have done this in one of the very first things I ever wrote about King. The people the, the parts that people remember from and the parts that people quote from the I Have a Dream speech were the parts that he didn't write. By which I mean he wasn't even planning to even do any of that. You know, he had written his speech and the and the central metaphor of his speech was this is a promissory note that The United States of America is guaranteed to all of its citizens that this is what you get by virtue of your being an American, and that... Basically, they have said to black people, we have insufficient funds, that we can't give you this justice and this freedom and this equality that we have promised you. And he asked the question, when will we be satisfied? And the very first thing he says in his list, the very first thing is we will not be satisfied so long as black people, Negroes are the victims of vicious police brutality. That's the very first thing he says on his list, number one. So he's giving you this very detailed political platform, and he is talking. So then Mahalia Jackson is sitting on the side, and Mahalia says, tell him about the dream, Martin. So as any good black Baptist preacher does, you have that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And, yeah, no doubt, and, and, and no to doubt. Me, and to me, what what we are hearing from people who only reference that second part of the speech is they've never been in a black baptist <laughs> right. church or a black church period where they know that certain preachers have their thing they have their they have their, they have, they have their thing Their they wind up their clothes this time <laughs> I'm, I'm taking y'all home I'm bringing you to the altar with this that is what that was for him he, he laid out his poly, policy positions very clearly and very plainly in the beginning of that speech at the end of that speech, that's the hoop for the preacher. <laughs> no, seriously, that—that that it is. is, it's not the substance. It's the—it's the ice. It's the whipped cream on top of right, the substance, right. and yet it has been completely subverted and made the central point of his speech. And it was never. He didn't even write that down. This mm. is from. This is. It's not quite improv because he said it before, but this is what the preacher says when he gets worked up.
1: Man, he got his lather on is what we're saying. Exactly.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yet it has been taken and promoted as if that is what he set out to say. Right, right. And I'm, I'm glad he said it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad he said it. But if you really want to know what his aim was, what he was trying to get across on that day, read the speech. Right. And
1: Jarvis, you have just, you know, you have taken it home. You've actually given us a little bit of church (laughs) (laughs) with with the history lesson that comes because we think it is very, very interesting that this this poignant prose that it is. Yeah. That it is, that it was well thought out, that it was it was there in that space, it was preconceived. Yeah. But like you said, it is it is it is the latter and for those of you all who have not sat in a black baptist <laughs> church,
3: right?
1: And the ah and, and, and the, the 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 call and response and you listen to the, the inflections of Doctor King in that speech, you can that's when you fall in love.
3: Yeah. And I have to tell you, one of the people who helped me think about it, I had already thought about that, but Corinne Barnwell, she's married to William Barnwell, who's an Episcopal priest there. And I interviewed her five years ago when I was trying to find people who were at the March on Washington. And she said that it was the first time for her, and probably the first time a lot of Americans had ever heard black preaching. mm that march on Washington. Right. So people are blown away. Blown like, away. Like, this is not what I hear. Like, this is, this is not the, the oratory mm-hmm. that we are used to. So part of the, the, the magnificence of that speech was for so many people. This was the, this was a first. They, they, they had not heard anybody.
1: And it romanticizes them. Yeah, it brings it in like wow. Yeah, this is
3: this
1: this is not potentially the the, the bland nature that we have been receiving. Yeah, it, it it encapsulates you. It hugs you. Yeah, right. And the one thing about black preachers, you know, the hook is the story. Yeah, and that's what it, it is—a story.
3: And it's the soaring, the soaring rhetoric. You know, and yes, I mean he's he he is giving you this very biblical references, meshing them in with this this sense of, you know, my country tis of these sweet land of liberty. So he's weaving in biblical references to the story that America has told of itself. And it's masterful. I don't think anyone is going to take that away. But to me, if you really want to know what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for and what his policy beliefs were, then you actually need to sit down and read it. Even If you don't want to read his books, if you don't want to read his speeches, just read the letter from, uh, from a Birmingham jail, jail exactly. which is where he talks about the white moderate, mm-hmm. you know, that that is in the headline of, of my column. Right, exactly. And he says, this is, I've, I've almost reached a regrettable conclusion that the biggest obstacle we have is the white moderate. Not the people in the Klan, not the people in the Citizens Council, but... The moderate those people who say well i agree with you what your goals are about i think you're going about it the right right way are you going too fast that kind of thing and it's those people it's that white moderate who today will try to make you believe that they are king's biggest fans
1: as you say those burgers jarvis it reminds it reminds me so much of yes we believe in you standing up for your rights as nfl players we believe but it's not the right way yeah right yeah. we we hear that continually that this is this is how your revolution should be we're going to dictate from our privileged positions how you should go about revolution yeah and it's that same thing you know but i'm not racist Right? I believe in your cause. But. But. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. And, you know, he talks about this idea of waiting in, in that letter. And it's one of the best sentences you'll ever read in the English language. In fact, it's actually in a book called How to Write a Sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this book. And I forget the, the, the Greek technique he uses. Uh, but it's just a re- repetition of a certain phrase at the beginning. When you have, when you have, when you have, then you will perhaps know why it's so difficult to wait. You know, when you have seen your children ask you why you can't go, they can't go to the amusement park. When you have heard your mother referred to by her first name and not by ma'am. When you have not been allowed to do this, when you have not been allowed to do this. And he goes on for about 300 words. Then perhaps you will find it you will understand why we find it so difficult to, to wait. wait. Yeah.
1: And it so. feels like Jarvis that we have been do. waiting. It feels like that we have been waiting and waiting. And you know, you and I have talked at length about what we've seen as the white lash yeah. that, is, that is happening in our country. Yeah. And it's, it's still that wait. You know, you, yeah. you, you've gotten so far, but you can't push harder. We, we these people have waited. Yeah. They waited eight years. Well, no, not, <laughs> you know they've heard the rhetoric of President Barack Obama and his love for this diversity and equitable and inclusive nation. But yeah. what about what about the poor white folks, right? It, they waited. It,
3: it occurred to me when I was reading my daughter's story about Ruby Bridges that you know the, the the message that these books are intended to convey is that you know black people have worked really hard and been really determined in order to get their freedom. But I think you could also see these books as evidence of just the lens that white people will go to to prevent black people from acquiring those freedoms. Like the backlash is always there and it was there obviously when King was facing it, it's there today with Black Lives Matter, it's mm-hmm. facing it. and. Protests are not designed to make anybody feel comfortable. And that, to me, is the, the what these people who are pretending to like King won't acknowledge. The white people in the 60s were not being made to feel good about themselves mm. when he was marching. He wasn't bending over backwards to tell them, how great they were. Did he say that he was nonviolent? Yes. Did he say that he didn't want to harm them? Yes. But he didn't say that he was going to work not to offend them or not to make them feel uncomfortable or, or to avoid having them think about race. That was not his aim. And yet, there are people today who want to make the argument that you know anybody who makes them any uh, halfway uncomfortable is somehow offending the memory and the honor of Martin Luther
1: King. And and, and that's what we have to understand that in revolution comfort does not come in the morning.
3: No, it may not come at all.
1: It may (laughs) not come at all. Brother Jarvis man you have as always you know dropped something on us that is going to make us think well past this interview, brother. If you don't know Jarvis Deberry, you need to make sure that you go to The Times Picayune to read his trove. <laughs> and I think that's the best word to say—a trove of articles that will will stir your mind, brother. I appreciate your time appreciate as always. You. No doubt, no doubt. And got to give a shout out to the men of Omega Sci-Fi because Jarvis Deberry <laughs> is one of the good bros We'll see you on the other side. This is the What's Your Revolution show.
2: Open your heart To what I mean To what I mean Cause you know In this whole wide world, whole wide world, there's a million, a million more than. 24-7
0: banking at Liberty, that's freedom. Open an account online anytime. That's right. Open a bank account online anytime at www.libertybank.net. Make deposits at Liberty Bank ATMs. Liberty Bank's various financial services online and take control of your banking. Apply for loans or credit cards and check balances at www.LibertyBank.net. You can make transactions at your convenience. Go to www.LibertyBank.net now and start an account today. And don't forget to use promo code WBOK.
4: New Orleans, we hope you're ready for the 2018 French Quarter Festival presented by Chevron. It's Louisiana's largest free music festival. 2018 marks the 35th anniversary of the festival and the 300th anniversary of the city. To celebrate, there will be a tricentennial stage located in the Jack's Brewery parking lot. It's the 2018 French Quarter Festival happening April 12th through the 15th. And the price is absolutely free. Make sure to bring your appetite to enjoy New Orleans dishes for more than 60 food vendors scattered throughout the historic French Quarter. VIP experiences and passes can be... Purchased. For more information, make sure to log on at FQFI.org. This year's musical lineup includes Irma Thomas, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Partners in Crime, and the Big Easy Band featuring DJ Jubilee, Cupid, and the Dance Party Express Band, Bag of Donuts, Robin Barnes, and the Firebirds, Chocolate Milk, James Andrews, John Boutique, Jamar Allen, and the Underdogs, the Stooges Brass Band, Amanda Shaw, Cyril Neville Swamp Funk, Rockin' Doopsy Jr., and the Zydeco Twisters, the Brassaholics, and many more. So come out April 12th through the 15th to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the French Quarter Festival, presented by we
0: For more than a decade, the New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce has proudly served our community. Our focus is to empower and sustain minority businesses by connecting members through our Deliberate Spending 365 campaign. We support our members through advocacy, events, and referrals, while maintaining a mission to promote economic growth and development throughout the region. For information on how to become a member, call 504-948-0991 or visit norbchamber.org. Again, it's 504-948-0991. You're listening to WBOK, New Orleans.
1: Welcome back to the What's a Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpro. Hopefully you were able to listen in on my man, Jarvis DeBerry, as always, dropping knowledge about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as we commemorate the 50th year of his assassination. Very, very interesting as we think about the dreamer and the revolutionary and how we have, as Jarvis and I talked about, we have thought about the dreamer. We have thought about the dreamer and fallen in love with the dreamer, but it was really the revolutionary. And to help me unpack that a little bit more, I am joined by the prolific (laughs) voice, Willie Francois III, senior pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church of Pleasantville, New Jersey. Pastor Francois, how you doing?
5: And doing well. How you doing, Doc?
1: I'm doing well, man. I am honored as as always to have a strong presence and voice here, blessing our radio show. As we ask all of our guests, Pastor, what's your revolution?
5: Uh, well, I I, mean, I would probably no. My revolution is is two prong. One is the uh, dismantling of, uh, uh, the prison state that is America in favor of restorative justice. And, uh, the second aspect of my revolution is actually, uh, giving, uh, faith communities some political teeth. Uh, I think that we have to reimagine what it means to be a person of faith, whether that's Jewish, Christian, or Muslim, uh, but one that is engaged in, uh, public advocacy for the dispossessed, uh, and the disinherited.
1: Right. And I want to just talk about that second piece because for one second and we think about the political capital and knowing that African-Americans make up about 13 percent of our population now and we've seen the rise almost seventeen, eight percent of the Hispanic uh, population now and we're seeing the courting more of the Hispanic vote than we're seeing for the African-American vote. And I think that is really, really telling as we think about our own voice, uh, and particularly for that of black men, because we know that black women have been saving us for a very, very long time. So how do we continue right. to advocate in the political process? And what are you doing from the church's perspective to help that out?
5: Well, I think, I think two things uh, in particular. One is uh, for, uh, with our congregation, we're, we're actively doing the work. Uh, we are engaging our elected officials. We are creating, uh, you know, opportunities, uh, for Uh, persons who are uh, formerly incarcerated, uh, persons uh, who are underemployed, uh, trying to create some tangible material uh, 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 realities uh, for them. Uh, So part of it is just doing the work, being able to engage the political uh, system in a way that is uh, constructive and sometimes antagonistic and not always in ways that are trying to curry favor. I think part of the, the loss of, uh the political power or the perceived loss of the political power of the black community is that I assumed allegiance to uh, one party, that there's no reason uh, for the political party uh, to court us because we have uh, really just made our bed with one in the last, uh, particularly in the last 50 years. Right. We, right. I, and so there, there's, there's no need to, to court us uh, to, there's no need to keep promises. From us. And so I think that to come with a constructive and occasionally, uh, uh antagonistic which I often like to call a prophetic rage. Uh I, I think that. helps helps to give helps helps to sharpen our teeth uh again. Uh and I, I think another aspect uh to this is really making it very clear uh that that we don't have making it very clear that there's there's no division between the Latino community and the black community mm. we're we're suffering uh, from the same structures, the exactly, same systems, uh, exactly. that, that poor white folk are suffering from. Right. I think there really, there needs to be a, a multiracial, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-class, um, uh, that actually puts pressure, uh, on the system and, uh, these custodians of the system that we call politicians.
1: Gotcha. Pastor, I appreciate that, 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 that very eloquent response. It is very interesting to think about that. As you said, we don't need to be courted. We've been married to the Democratic Party for so long, and understanding what happens sometimes in marriage—that we take for granted of our spouse, uh, the yeah. people who actually are the foundations of our success—and we take it, we take advantage of that without saying, you know, what I love you. I'm here for you. Here's some things that you know I need to make sure to do to make sure that this re- this this relationship is sovereign and equitable and equal and so it's very very interesting as we think about that because that was one of the cruxes of dr martin luther king ensuring that we had the political capital and political power to make way and that was one of the biggest things getting people out to vote pastor right and we we don't talk about and i go back we fall in love with the dreamer but the radical and the revolutionary said that was to motivate and mobilize people to get out and really make change, getting out to vote. And what we're seeing now is that we need more than ever to get black and brown votes, poor and affluent votes to go out and vote and vote their conscience. Because it is critical in these times that if we're going to be successful, that we, we galvanize, that we collaborate, and we go out and mobilize and get to the polls.
5: No man, I think I think that's right, I and mean, that's part of. I mean, King demonstrates King, King, and a host of other people. Uh, to be clear, demonstrate uh, that organized people uh, can trump organized money any day of the week. Uh, and there has been this disintegration, uh, you know, of interest. Uh, this 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 marriage that we have to the Democratic Party has left, uh, particularly the millennial generation, uh, to believe. Uh, You know, this is that the vote uh, does not count, uh, in particular because we have not learned how to leverage – we we have not reclaimed the power of leveraging our vote uh, to to control our own economic and political destiny.
1: No doubt, no doubt. And that leads me, Pastor, to this prolific statement that you posted on Facebook as we celebrate MLK50. We have an opportunity to reclaim MLK from the political and religious vultures. <laughs> I love that. Responsible for misusing his legacy. Let's follow the example of the radical Martin, who demanded justice, not the sanitized American King who dreamed in D.C. What spurred that that statement, Pastor? You know,
5: I mean, every year we we see, uh, you know, at least once a year, uh, King is going to be invoked. Uh, in January, uh, as this sort of, uh, represents this representation of American exceptionalism. He's used as, uh, this, this type of analog for, uh, what, what, what is the best of America. Mm-hmm. And what we continue to see is that King is continually being sanitized, uh, primarily because everybody is kicking off what's left of his legacy. Right. You have conservatives who are trying to push. Uh, they use King to push this vision of American socialism. You have liberals who push this vision of uh, colorblind America. And you have black politicians who uh, King, King's legacy as a way of validating and, and perpetuating their own uh, greed-based desires for political and economic power. And so everybody is really... Taking aspects, I guess, that you can cherry-pick from King exactly. without actually exactly. contextualizing King, without historicizing King, and honoring the fact that, that King was one of the most hated people in America.
1: Man, that. you look, we're on the same page, Pastor, and, and the good Jarvis DeBerry just noted that, that the public opinion polls about Dr. King in the late 60s, 66, 67, only a third of the population had a positive opinion. Yeah. And it's interesting because my, my first thought is that revolutionaries are not always liked. But we think about the opinion polls of the people who have political office in our country right now who are not well liked. And I don't know if we're yeah. going to call them revolutionary. But in that sense that hit Martin Luther King's revolution did not make people comfortable. But as we said earlier, Pastor, is that revolution is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. And when we think about civil rights and we think about LGBTQ and we we think about uh, black and brown folks and we think about the intersections of all of that with race and gender and SES, right, for change to happen, people have to be made – people in power have to be made uncomfortable. And you said it earlier, Pastor, which is if people in power working together are far more powerful than dollars – and yes. we've seen that because we, we've seen the the outpouring of millions of dollars into elections only to have those dollars be thwarted by getting people out. Yeah. You know, I, go ahead. Pastor.
5: Yeah, I, and I think part of what part of what has been done is that the sanitizing of key is really connected uh, to a misunderstanding of what. Nonviolent direct action was, and a gross, a gross uh, misrepresentation of what King's politics of love was about. Mm. Uh, You know, politics. The King's politics of love uh, was not about people pleasing and and courting power. As much as it was about using uh, what what he saw as this, 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 this cosmic good, this, this cosmic power, this ideal of love. Uh, that will really work in service of those who did not have power king was deeply offensive to people who had power because part of King's part of King's effectiveness was taking power from people who supposedly had it for generations right so it's this generational this this loss of generational power that pr- pr- principally connected uh to white men political power economic power uh and that's deeply discomforting to have to give up powers, deeply discomforting to have to reimagine uh, what a lunch counter looks like. It's deeply discomforting to have to reimagine what your classroom looks like. Tell them, pastor, now it has the presence pastor. of people who threaten your false sense of superiority that is deeply connected to a type of political uh, insecurity.
1: Pastor, wow! Yeah, no, no doubt. And I'm always joined by uh, my co-conspirator in crime here, the Rachel Graham.
0: What's up, Pastor?
1: What's going on?
0: I don't know if you remember, but I used to be a a part of Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church. Sure,
5: sure, sure. I remember. (laughs) No
1: doubt, no doubt. Pastor, you know, I just have to say, I mean, the 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 way that you have pontificated and, and brought this space to us, how are you taking the message and that, that critical analysis that you just gave us to impact who you are and what you do?
5: Yeah, you know, I mean, Dr. King uh, has, uh, I mean, his, his, his legacy is, uh, particularly his, his political legacy, uh, his, his work as a minister has deeply, you know, has given me a template for the type of work uh, that I think uh, the, the pastor, uh, the prophet uh, should engage in. Uh, so, I, so I think Dr. King's uh, message of, of disruption, of political disruption, his message of, of revolution in a lot of ways uh, has has informed the way I preach, uh, has informed the way I understand uh, race and capitalism and how they're married together uh, in, in in this country. There's some things that are not so great about King's life uh, that I hope I learn from as well. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, you know my, my concern is is we're too attached to this idea of political messiah. Uh, we're, we're, we're waiting for another political messiah like Dr. King to come and save us, uh, when it wasn't Dr. King that saved us, uh, because one was still not safe, uh in this country. Mm. But, you know, it was the, the networks that, that he uh, was able to build around him of women and, and, and youth and students. Uh, that actually pushed this country, uh, to, to, you know, to where it was, uh, in the, in, you know, in, in, 68 when he died. And we know that we've made some deep regressions, uh, since, since 68. And I think it's connected to this idea that we need a political messiah. And so part of, part of what I want my work to be is really democratizing the movement, uh, decentralizing, uh, the work of justice so that all of us realize, realize that we have a part to play. Uh, and we're not looking in the sky for uh, some political political messiah to save us from, uh, you know, Uncle Sam.
1: Right, right. You were listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corp. We're talking to the senior pastor, Willie Francois III of Mountain Zion's Baptist Church in Pleasantville, New Jersey, who's been killing it. Yeah. You know, Rachel wants to ask you something,
0: Pastor. So it's interesting that you're the senior pastor of, of a church. I I know uh <laughs> Francois. Um, and senior is a big title. It is. Um, but pardon me for saying this, Pastor, are you yet 35? No,
5: I'm 31, 31. Mm. Doing a thing.
0: And so in that space, um, there, there's an article that was written. There's a lot of thought pieces that have been floating around, um, but Michael Denzel Smith wrote a piece um, about the unfair uh, example that, that, as you talk about the sanitized version of Dr. King, places in front of young, upcoming uh, civil rights leaders and folks that are dedicated to the movement. Do you feel that pressure? Do you do you feel that there is an unrealistic, in some cases, example of what you're expected to do as a young minister that is all about this liberation work?
5: Yeah, man, I, I, I deeply, uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I would say yes, primarily because they use King as a, they use King as this sort of badge of politics of respectability, mm-hmm. uh, as if being respectable and uh, presentable actually have anything to do with the eradication of racism in this country. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I think I mean I, I think it's unfair, but I think it's unfair to them because there are people who actually believe this, uh, and I, you know I transgress against those types of. Uh, ideas, because one I, what I do know is that being respectable uh, does not save us from structural and systemic racism. Uh, and, but there is there is this this imposition uh, that to be a minister or to be a successful black man looks a particular way. And Dr. King is generally the poster uh, mm. person. Uh, there you go,
1: us. Pastor. There uh, you go.
5: I, but I think I think that we at every every turn we have to disrupt that. And offer new models of new models of the movement. One, but new models of what it means to be a of what it means to be a black man uh, that is deeply complicated, that is deeply uh, complex, and is not one thing. Uh, and so I think that you know I hope my life is uh, you know although I to some extent I do fit into some respectable paradigms, obviously, uh, but I <laughs> I do I do, do want to disrupt.
1: It as a necessity. Wow. I love that, Pastor, and all those. There's so many things that I want to. I, I want to pull back on, um, and and just unpack for one second, and particularly around because the show What's Your Revelance? is about how men can find the healthiest versions of themselves, and these new models of masculinity. Because because you you said earlier that when you do a critical analysis of Dr. Martin Luther King, you have to look at all sides yeah. of, of our revolutionary leader and not a, not ascending to some of those things is also just as important as emulating you know that nature that is going to lead the masses of people what are some of those aspects that you you know that of that critique that are important for us to see to say you know what this is this is still a man yeah uh i
5: mean i think king sexism uh was one of those uh issues i, I mean he was He's often, if you can look at the book that was written by Ralph if you take it to be true. Uh, I mean, King didn't always have the most positive uh, statements to say about women. There was right. also some objectification there, uh, some commodification there as well. Uh, you know, I mean, King obviously uh, had uh, a pattern of adultery, uh, which is real, uh, that we have to take seriously. Uh, King uh, had not evolved uh, on the question of LGBTQI, uh, a uh, equality, uh, you know, particularly the way Bayard Rustin was uh, treated, Bayard Rustin was treated uh, very poorly uh, in the movement and by the movement as a result of the, the type of latent homophobia that existed in that day that existed in our day. So, so those are some of the areas of people's life that I think uh, we have to learn not to
1: emulate. Right, right. And we th- and when we think about our movements today, Pastor, and I'm glad that you brought all of those great, amazing things out, is that we have to think about inclusion and voice, sure. you know, and, and to let people's voices be heard. Because oftentimes what, what the power structures do, as you said earlier, is try to divide our movements, right? It's LGBTQIA. It is... You know, it is wow. Hispanic, Latina, Latino, Latinx, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's black folks, right? It's,
0: men versus women, right?
1: Men versus women. Yeah. It, it, it is these things. We have to realize that in our in our movements, there we are an intersexual nature of people. That we cannot, you cannot just divide us by one thing or the another. Another, we are an amalgam. And I love using this. We are an amalgamation, pastor. And to think about that from that perspective, that's how the movements become stronger. Instead of saying it's just this here, it's X here, it's Y here, it's A here, we have to think about that. And if we take the good and the bad of our great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we also understand that as we grow as leaders, whose voices need to be included? And it seems like, and as we know, it needs to be all voices need to be included.
5: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, without a doubt, I mean... Because you don't have this movement, uh, I mean, you don't have the mastermind of the movement without Bayard Rustin, uh, who was a gay black man. You don't have uh, the movement without Fannie Buchanan, without Ella Baker, uh, sisters, I mean, some of the more popular sisters in the movement. Uh, we, know the, 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 we know we can, we can assume uh, the, the power and vitality of all the unnamed women. Uh, and youth, uh, of the movement. So yeah, we, we, I, it's our job to make sure that we don't practice with a type of moral segregation, right? Oh, uh, King, King talked about the segregation of our hearts too. Uh, you know, and, you know, sometimes I'm grateful that, you know, he was able to give us language that he couldn't always live up
2: to. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, and, that's,
5: and that shouldn't be a problem because we celebrate our founding fathers who gave us the language of liberation as they Boom. passed over black bodies and chains. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> That's
1: a drop-the-mic moment right there, Pastor.
5: <laughs> you know, so so King gives us the language to talk about, like, we, we can't afford to live morally segregated. We can't afford to live with, with segregated hearts uh, because, as King told us, justice is indivisible. Uh, and if, if, you know, our our immigrant brothers and sisters are under attack right now by a— vicious administration that wants to recreate a white republic, uh, then
1: we're all under attack. We're all under attack, Pastor. Pastor, that's the interesting thing. We are all under attack. As our time runs short, and, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of a lather myself. I I was (laughs) going to say, you just said
0: amen and pass some more times. (laughs) I feel like I'm back in church,
1: man. Give a shout-out to the Dr. Robert G. Murray, pastor at First Baptist Church in Butte Street, my pastor... (laughs) My my pastor, you know, I I do feel a little church that we've had in here, pastor. But let me ask you this question: What are we missing from this conversation right now? What what needs to be said that we're not saying, pastor? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think there's one
5: thing that's missing uh, from 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 the national uh, discourse. General, one thing that's missing uh, is to be very clear uh, that that we we have to stop talking about injustice and discrimination in terms of individual issues and start talking about this in terms of institutional issues. As p- part of part of the impotence, p- part of what has taken hold of our power. Is that we get so caught up on individual instances of white supremacy that we forget uh, how white supremacy is baked into the very system. Right. Uh, we talk about individual instances of heterosexism, but we we don't talk mm-hmm. about hetero, how heterosexism and homophobia outright are baked uh, into, into the system. We need we need a systems lens, a right. structural lens, if is. we're going to transform this country. Because right now right now we're fighting symptoms. Uh, we're fighting symptoms. And, you know, it was Keene uh, quoting Victor Hugo uh, that said, you know, we can't just talk about the crimes committed in the dark. We have to talk about who created the darkness, who caused the darkness. So if we're going to actually have a transformation and a shift, we have to diagnose the darkness.
1: Right, right. Wow. Pastor, Pastor, man, I can't, look, I can't wait to go home and play this again. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Pastor I appreciate it. We've been talking to Pastor Willie Francois III, Willie Dwayne Francois III, senior pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Pleasantville, New Jersey, who like I said, I can't wait and when we get this up, I want to make sure everybody hears this. Pastor, we appreciate your time today.
5: Happy
1: thank you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to The What's Your Revolution Show today with my man Jarvis DeBerry and the senior pastor Willie Dwayne Francois III. It's been a great show, Rachel.